0: Merry Christmas, everybody. So a couple years ago, we started this, uh, this tradition. I, I actually know when you can start calling a, tra- a tradition because uh, it's only been about three years, but I'd like to do it again tonight. Maybe some of you remember um, that on Easter Sunday, the church has this call and response that we do that the leader says, Christ is risen, and the church says, fantastic, Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed. And so on Christmas, uh, we thought it appropriate to, to celebrate the, the song that we just sang, that God is with us. That um, This is what the angel Gabriel tells Mary. He says, you know, you're, you're going to have a child, a son, you're going to call him. He will be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so on Christmas Eve, what we started doing is the leader will say, God is with us, and the church responds, You guys are really quick learners. So for the rest of us, God is with us. And this is is a beautiful, a beautiful thing to affirm. That God is with us. And and God is with us on this holy night because God came to be with us on that holy night several thousand years ago. Um, In fact, uh, Frederick Buckner says, this is something I came across last week, he says that in fact, all ground is holy. So it's not just this night that's holy, but in fact, and it's not just this space that's holy, but it's all ground is holy. And God has made it all holy because he not only created it, but he was born on it and he lived on it and he walked on it and he died on it to make it all holy. And so this is uh, this beautiful thing that we want to celebrate together. And I'm so thrilled that we get this chance to just uh, to take an hour out of our Christmas experiences, whatever that looks like for you personally or your family, your friends, to be together and to celebrate uh, this amazing news that God is with us, that he came to be with us in Jesus, and he's with us through his Holy Spirit. I hope you experience, uh, I hope you experience that. So over the last couple of weeks, we as a, a church have been looking at our Christmas uh, season through this lens of this one little line from the song, O Holy Night. And you see the words behind me, the soul felt its worth. In fact, it's in a, a line, uh, that we'll, we're going to sing this song later, O Holy Night. Uh, the line actually goes, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. So we've been just kind of exploring what, it, what does it look like to experience Christmas through, uh, through this lens of the soul feeling its worth. And I've always liked the song, Oh Holy Night. It's always been kind of one of my favorite songs. In fact, I am often um, I often get choked up singing the words. The words are so incredibly powerful. And it's not just me. Um, maybe for some of you, this has been one of your favorite songs. But this song, Oh Holy Night, has actually been the source of, uh, of quite a few Christmas miracles throughout history. In fact, if you go back to 1906, 1906, there was this guy named Reginald Fiesenden. Uh, some guys have all the luck, right? I was born with his last name Miller. I been, my whole life I've been introducing myself as Eric Miller. Uh, bland is that? Uh, and here's a guy whose name is Reginald Fiesenden. You feel like you almost have to like bow or something when you say it. And so he, uh, he was a chemist and he worked with Thomas Edison. And they were working on this project of saying, how, how can we communicate across great distances by using... Uh, by using radio frequencies. And so he, he had been working on this new technology. And up until this point, you could send messages, uh, long distances, but you could only send messages through a series of clicks and taps, Morse code, right? So you would encode the messages and send them, and somebody would have to decode them and, and get the message. Um, but he had been working on this new technology that would allow him to actually send a human voice across these same radio waves. And so on Christmas Eve 1906, Reginald Fiesenden leans into his microphone and, for the first time in history, sends a human voice out across the airwaves. And, and this is what he says In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, this was the first census that took place while Carinius was governor in Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph, too, went up from uh, Galilee to Bethlehem, to the town of David in Judea, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him and cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Now there were shepherds living out in a field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, "Don't be afraid." Because I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace. To those on whom his favor rests. Now, when the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, They spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them, but Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all these things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So this is the first message that was ever sent across the radio waves, and then, um, Reginald Fiesenden. he puts down his Bible and he picks up his violin and he plays a song. Anybody want to guess what song he played? Oh, Holy Night. So before there was Casey Kasem, before there was Dick Clark, before there was Ryan Seacrest, there was Reginald Fiesenden and his violin singing, filling the airwaves with the good news of Jesus. That when he appeared, the soul felt its worth. This is a Christmas Eve miracle. Now, there was another Christmas Eve miracle uh, connected to this song, and it happened about 35 years before this, in 1871. Uh, it happened in the middle of a battle between France and Germany. France and Germany were at war, um, which, if you know history, like France and Germany always seem to be at war with one another. And so they, uh, they're there on the battlefield, and the soldiers are, are trenched in, and it's, it's hell on earth. Right? I mean, they, they're, they're trying to take the lives of these other people. And it's Christmas Eve, 1871. And the story goes that in the middle of kind of a, a, a quiet moment, and you can kind of start to imagine what, what goes through your mind when you're dug in in a trench away from your family uh, in the middle of war on Christmas Eve. I mean, you can imagine you, you start to sort of question, what, what, am I, what am I doing here? What are we doing here? What's the problem I have with these people? And so in the middle of a moment like this, this brave Frenchman stands up out of his trench and he starts singing. And he starts singing in full voice what we know as O Holy Night. And and there are no bullets flying at him. There are no sounds that can be heard except the sound of his voice and a few other people joining in to sing with him. And he sings the entire song. And when he finishes, in kind of this moment of what's going to happen next, a German soldier stands up out of his trench and responds by singing a, a Lutheran Christmas hymn. And it leads to this miraculous 24 hours of ceasefire where they see each other not as enemies but as brothers. And, and you think about, it, like, just the paradox of this moment in the middle of, of the, one of the ugliest places on earth. You have a man who stands up and who sings the line of the song that it says, Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Do I mean, you, you see just the, the irony of all of this? This brave, brave man. You see, one of the biggest problems in our world is that somewhere along the way, this lie has been communicated that some people are worth less than other people. And somewhere along the way, we believed this lie. We started to believe this lie that, you know what, like some people can be called our enemies. Some people, we're going to label them as worth less than other people. And this is a problem that Jesus came to remedy. And there have been people throughout history who have always stood against this lie, who haven't believed it, who haven't bought into it. Uh, people like those who lived in this tiny little village of Les Chambon, France, in the south of France. I've been working on that for like days. Can I say it again? Just I, First I said it, I, was like, I think it's like Les Chambon, but that doesn't sound right. Uh, Les Chambon is in the south of France, and it's this tiny little village, um, about four or 5,000 people. And during World War II, again, one of the ugliest periods in, in world history, World War II, um, while millions of people are, are, are suffering and are, are fleeing from Nazi Germany, this tiny little village manages to save nearly 5,000 thousand Jewish refugees, many of them children. So think about this, a tiny little village saving nearly 5,000 people. They, uh, they fed them, they hid them, they housed them, they gave false identification cards, they created a shuttle system to, to something like the Underground Railroad to take these people who were fleeing to safety. Um, they risked their own lives, many, some of them even lost their own lives. This has been uh, this incredible story has inspired documentaries and books. I highly recommend just reading some accounts of of Le Chambon. But one of the crazy things is as you like as you if you listen to interviews of people who actually lived through this, who were part of this resistance. Um what what's truly extraordinary is how unextraordinary they make it seem. Uh, when when they're interviewed, people are asking them like how, how did you do this? And like, what gave you the courage to do this? And they just look at them like they're from another planet to say, what choice did we have? What, what choice do we have? It needed to be done, and we were here, so we did it. Everybody would do this. It just seems so ordinary uh, because these people were so ingrained with this truth, this truth that every person Every soul had worth. And where did they get this from? They got it from Jesus. At the center of this like resistance, at the center of the town of Le Chambon, was this deep, sort of Jesus-saturated group of people that, that took all of their cues from the life and the teachings of Jesus because when he appeared, the soul felt its worth. And when he appears... In our lives, like when we experience Jesus, there's something that comes alive inside of us when Jesus looks into our eyes, we hear his voice, and our souls, maybe for the first time, feel their worth. This is the story of Jesus, right? I mean, everything that happens, like, it's just like he transforms people from the inside out. The the story that came from the Jesus Storybook Bible that the Barb read. By the way, this is what like story time in our family is like. With like people, you notice my son ended up with the whole blanket at the end of it. Oh man! So we <clears throat> always have these images of like, oh, this is going to be this really cool Christmas night. Everybody's going to like peace on earth, goodwill toward man, and then it ends with bleeding and kicking and all sorts of stuff. So <laughs> we got some work to do. Um, but anyhow, so on the night Jesus was born, like the. The first people who heard the message were the shepherds. And, and shepherds were like these, they were sketchy people. They, um, they weren't trusted. Like, they were told in a variety of ways they were worth less than other people. They weren't allowed to testify in court. Um, they, they were just people who were just a bit sketchy, a bit like Broncos fans. Like, if you can imagine, like, you take a Broncos fan. It might be the equipment. Now, Broncos fans, they have worth, right? They have amazing worth, but only because Jesus told us that they do. Um, I'm a Browns fan. I can say whatever I want. We're 0-15, man. So uh, these shepherds who are unclean, who have to go through ritual washings to be able to get into the temple to worship, who aren't trustworthy in court, who does God entrust with the message that the Messiah has been born? The shepherds. I mean, is that crazy? Like that the God just seems to constantly come to those who feel worthless and God sees them and pays attention to them and gives them a mission. And these shepherds, they're the first ones who carry the good news of Jesus to others. And throughout Jesus' life, he, he had this habit of doing that, of finding people who would believe this lie, who believe this lie that, that they were worthless. So he came to a woman sitting by a well in Samaria. And this woman had lots of strikes against her. First of all, she was a Samaritan. She was an outsider. The Jewish people told her she was worth less. And on top of that, then, she had this string of broken marriages. Five, in fact. And so uh, she is there drawing water from the well in the middle of the day at noon when everybody else was already done because the sun was up and it was hot. And so she was there Because she was dripping with shame because of her life. And she encounters God in flesh at the well. And what does God do? God looks into her eyes and he pays attention to her. And he asks her for a drink and they start this conversation and she's like startled. She's like, how can you, and she doesn't know who he is, but she knows he's a Jewish man. She's like, how can you, a Jewish man, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And Jesus looks at her and says this, strangely, he says, if you knew who it was who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have changed your life. He would have given you living water. This thing that will quench your thirst once and for all. This thirst that you have deep inside of you that has led you to look in all of these relationships and it couldn't be found there. So the relationships have ended. I have what you need. I can restore your soul. And this woman... There's this, this conversation that, that happens, and Jesus knows her past. In fact, he, he says to her, he says, go call your husband. And she says, well, I, I'm not married. I don't have a husband. And Jesus, says, actually, you're, you're right. You've had five. And the man you're now with, you've just sort of given up on the whole marriage thing, and he's not your husband. So it's not like Jesus doesn't know her story. He does. And he still accepts her. He, he affirms her. He pays attention to her and it changes her, and, and she goes back to her, her village, to her own people, and she begins to tell them, come and see this man who's told me everything that I have ever done. He knows everything I have ever done, and there's this, this you can almost read into it that says, and he still loves me. is that beautiful? That this is what God in flesh is like. This is, who Jesus was. What Jesus did, according to, this is from uh, Father Gregory Boyle, says Jesus didn't hold a bar up and then ask people to measure up. He showed up and he held a mirror up to tell the truth that you are exactly what God had in mind when he made you. And then he just watched people become that. He watched people inhabit that truth. That's what Jesus did, and Jesus, he he just continually did this. He he did it to children who the disciples said, no, 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 they're they're worth less than the other important people who are coming to Jesus, so keep them away, and Jesus was, it actually says he was indignant, which in the Greek is ticked. Um, It's it's not true. Um, It's a paraphrase. Maybe it's in the message. I don't know, Uh, but Jesus, he's indignant. He's indignant because these children have worth in his eyes, and he pays attention to them, and he... He blesses them, and he communicates worth to them. Uh, This is what the life of Jesus is. Every person he met, every person who was open to it, as he looked in their eyes, as he spoke to them, as he extended a hand and touched and healed, he was communicating worth. And the worth didn't come from how perfect they were. Their worth didn't come from how well you know, they had had sort of towed the line and how how great their lives were. Their worth came from the fact that they were created in the image of God and that God said so. That's where our worth comes from. Is that we, that every person on the planet is created in the image of God, and God has come to us in Jesus, and Jesus came among us, he lived a life among us, he ministered among us, and he gave his life to communicate the unsurpassable worth of the human soul in the eyes of God. And so, this is the good news that we celebrate. This is why we gather as a church on Christmas Eve to affirm that God is is with us and so maybe some of us are here tonight and we have ourselves believed the lie that maybe others have told us or we've just felt it and our souls have sort of they, they have the scars of feeling worth less than others and I believe God wants to heal that and he doesn't want to do it through my words I think he wants to do it through his words like what would it look like for you And maybe it's even closing your eyes and hearing the voice of Jesus, of, of seeing Jesus look into your eyes and pay attention to you and speak truth to your soul that he loves you and he is with you and he is for you and he has given his life for you and he has a new identity for you. And it's a someone who has unsurpassable worth in him. Would you just hear him speak that to you this Christmas? And one thing, for us as, as followers of Jesus, one thing I think that God might want for us as we leave this place tonight, as we sort of go out and continue on whatever the rest of our holiday season looks like. What would it look like for us to agree with God that every single person we meet has unsurpassable worth? What would it look like for us to do that? What would it look like for us to pay attention to people? Think about that phrase, pay attention for a second. What do you pay for? Not like literally what you pay for, but like you pay for things that are worth something to you, right? We we just came through the biggest consumeristic season of the year, right? We paid for lots of stuff. How many of us bought things that were brought by somebody in a brown truck and put a brown package on our porch because we thought it was worth something or somebody we were going to give it to was going to think there was value to it, right? I mean, this is like we're living in this. We pay for things that are, have value. And then we say this phrase, pay attention. Pay attention. Every time you pay attention to somebody, you know what you're doing? You're partnering with God to agree that this person is worth your time. You are following the example of Jesus. Um, we, we understand that our attention is currency. I, I, like, we have a second grader. And all of her friends, like so many of her friends, they, they send these things home from school. And you know what they want to be when they grow up? Any second graders in the room? What do you want to be when you grow up? A YouTuber. Like, I didn't even know this was a thing. I've, like, ask Jesse, our youth pastor, like, what's a YouTuber? Is that, a, like, a career? And we understand that, like, if you're a YouTuber, you don't actually have to be all that talented. You don't have to be, you don't have to have special skills. You just have to be able to get attention. And if you can get attention, you can earn money, right? That our clicks, our attention is worth something. So what if we, as the people of God, understood the power that we have with our attention and we made the practice of saying, you know what, we are going to slow down. And for heaven's sake, we're going to put our phones away when we're with people. When we dinner as a family, we're not going to set our phones on the table just hoping that somebody more important than the person we're with is going to text or call so we can take that call. We're actually going to put it down, and we're going to give the person in front of us our attention. And we're going to do it to people at the grocery store who are... Who are um, checking out our, our groceries, and we're going to do it to uh, the person. There's a, one quick story I want to end with. There's a, a guy from, from our McPherson campus who works at one of the, the medical institutions in town. And he was walking down the hallway, and there's this guy who he typically meets throughout the day. And he just said, hi, stopped, looked at him, said, hi, how are you today? And he's been doing this for weeks and weeks and weeks. And finally, this guy, who doesn't work in his department, who works, uh, who's been told that he works in a uh, department that is worth less than this, my friend's department, he stops and he takes off his gloves and says, why are you saying hi to me? Like, why, why do you do this? Nobody else says hi to me. And so my friend stops and looks at him and says, because... I want to know you because we work together because we're on the same team here and, and, and I think it's important for us to know each other. And they shake hands and they, they learn each other's names and they have a relationship because that man knew his worth because somebody paid attention to him. Could we agree with God that people are valuable, that God has come, that he has given his life to show this and we as God's people get to partner with him? God, we thank you, that you have shown us again and again and again the worth of the soul. And so, God, we want as your people to agree with you, God, that every person in this room, that every person we encounter, that every person in our neighborhood, places we work, where we go to school, God, whoever we run into, God, that they have worth because they are made in your image and you have given your life for them. God, help us to slow down. Help us to pay attention. And God, may every soul feel its worth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.